when we divided up the classes uh, to be taught this semester, I intentionally did not pick John 19 because I did not want to do it. George uh, came to me two weeks ago and he said, hey, uh, I'm going to, you know, we just bought this house in Florida, so I'm going to be down there like on the, would you mind swapping with me? I'm like, great, George. I've been working on it. So anyway, <laughs> I'm doing chapter 19 today. Um, when, I, when I think about chapter 19, you know, words mean things. I'm a word person, and words mean things. And there should be some words that we reserve <clears throat> to describe God, our relationship to God, what God is all about, and we should use them at no other time. Uh, words like, um, you know, all the, all the good omni-words, the omnip omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. We got, we got that because nobody uses those regularly, okay? Um, resplendent, majestic. Those are words that ought to be reserved to describe God. Here's a word that ought to be used to describe God, and some of us have used it incorrectly, and I want to challenge you to not do it anymore. This chapter, when I think about this chapter, I think about two words, Latin words, excrucio, excruciating. You do not have an excruciating headache. I don't care how bad it is. Excrucio is out of crucifixion. Crucifixion is such a horrible, horrible way to die that we ought to reserve. We as Christians ought to be the first people that battle that and go back on it and say, no, 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 you might have a bad headache, but it's not excrucio. It's not excrucio. So I've got a lot. I appreciate Keegan uh, kicking us off, and I, I've got a lot to cover today. And I actually... The, you know, you would think by the time you get to be my age, you would be set and uh, set and stoic in your beliefs and in, in the way I have totally changed my perception of this chapter within the last two months. So I, I'm, I, I'm free to change. If I find something better, I'm going to go with it. So I'm going to share that with you this morning. Um, so what I want to do is I want to... Uh, just read the first 20, say 20-something chapters, 22 chapters. We'll read it. We'll talk about it. I'm, I may stop. I'm sorry, I'm chapter 19. I may stop uh, and just make a few comments along the way not so that we won't have to go back. <clears throat> let, me, let me say this. I very much so appreciated uh, both Gary Holloway and uh, 17, the unity, and then Rhonda last week in 18, um, any of the academics in here? Rhonda? Yes. <laughs> Real academics. I'm talking about, I'm, ta I'm talking about members of the academy, which that's a guarded thing. There's people, there's people up, there's room up here. Oh, come on. Come on down. Come on down front. Dell's got her. Yes. Two. <laughs> um, Rhonda did a, did a masterful job last week. And she had put a ton of work into that. And I appreciate it very much. I would add a couple of things to what she said uh, that you need, to, you need to think about. <coughs> Passover in Judaism is according to moon cycles. It's not according to a Gregorian calendar. Uh, 
it's according to moon cycles. So when it is a full moon, Passover always occurs on a full moon. So when they did the full when they did the full moon search and they come after him, I agree. The Greek word is speria, uh, which would indicate which would indicate a detachment of a, a, up to six hundred soldiers. It says they detached Asperia to go get Jesus, along with the chief priests and temple guards. So they're looking for a fight. Uh, but when they went and they had torches, that was overkill. I'm surprised that the first thing that Jesus said was, Why you got the torches, dude? It's full moon. I mean, you can see, I can see you face to face. Um, and it didn't have to be 600 people. It could just be... They sent a detachment of that Speria, but that—that's—I thought that was—I thought that was a great, great point. Um, so let's keep going. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in, pur- in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, "Hail, O King of the Jews!" And they struck him in the face. That's nowhere in the Greek nor the Greek. Here's what it says. They kept giving him blows with their hands. That's the Greek. They kept on. Front row. (laughs) Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Lo, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to him, Behold the man. Echo homo. There is actually an arch in the streets of Jerusalem that's called the Echo Homo Arch. And they think that that, well, um, Constantine's mother thought that that was the place where he brought him out. Notice who yells. As soon as they heard the chief priests, that would be Annas, Caiaphas, and the four other sons, all of the chief priests start yelling. These are people who said... Uh, they had sworn their allegiance never to bow to Rome for any reason. Crucify him! Crucify him! And Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him, fully knowing that Jews can't crucify. Jews do what? Stone. Jews stone. Romans crucify. But they want... They knew that they didn't have a case that they could stone him themselves. They wanted to convince the Romans to crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for this charge. When the Jews insisted, we have a law, quoting Leviticus 24, we have a law, according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. And he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? Fully expecting Jesus to say, heaven. He asked Jesus. Jesus gave no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you realize I have the power to either free me or to crucify you? And Jesus said, You have no power over me that was not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. It's almost like Jesus is saying, Hey, it's okay. It's okay. I'm supposed to die. It's okay. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. and he, The Jews kept on shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Now there's a problem. 
Because friend of Caesar is a title. Remember friends of Bill? Those are people who had contributed so much to President Clinton that he made them friends of Bill. This is friends of Caesar. And that was a title that had been given Pilate. And you did not, uh, you did not laissez majestus. You did not go against the majesty of Rome. And if you've been given the title friends of Caesar, you better act like you're a friend of Caesar. So when they bring up that charge, that's a serious charge. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he had Jesus brought out and he sat him down on the judge's seat on the place known as the stone pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. Um, we don't know exactly where that is, but we, we, can, we can see all the stones around. We don't know which one is Gabbatha, but there was a stone that says Gabbatha. So I'm telling you, if you go, you can see very close to Gabbatha. <clears throat> it was the day, John tells us this three times in this chapter. It was the day of preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. The sixth hour would be 12 o'clock. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. Take him away, take him away. Crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. What I want you to see is there were two crowds. There was the crowd, and this is important in the story, there was the crowd that is from the hinterland, not in Jerusalem. And they are not as beholden to Rome. Those are the guys that were laying down the palm fronds when he walked in the triumphal entry, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us. They knew who he was. That's not the people who are yelling, crucify, crucify. The people yelling crucify, crucify are the people that are trying to hold on to their power, their station, their, their way of life, living among an occupied force. <clears throat> so the soldiers took charge of him, carrying his own cross. He went out, that's a fulfillment of prophecy, that the scapegoat will be crucified outside the city walls to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There's, right now, there's probably eight Golgothas in Jerusalem, so you pick. <laughs> but they all have, you got, all sell tickets to go in and see it. <clears throat> Here they crucified him with two others, one on either side, Jesus in the middle. Luke says the ones on the either side were criminals. Pilate had noticed and had a notice prepared and fastened the cross and all four gospels give a slight variation of this so we don't really know Jesus of Nazareth king of the Jews many of them many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and the sign was written in Aramaic Latin and Greek and the chief priest and the Jews protested to Pilate don't say he was the king of the Jews but that this man claimed to be the kingdom of Jews Pilate said what I've written, I've written. So let it be written, so let it be done. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, nah, I should have stopped right there. I'm going to stop right there and we're going to, we're going to go through this thing. Um, so, uh, under the encouragement of my wife, I went, went ahead and did a PowerPoint. <clears throat> she thinks this keeps me, on, on, keeps me more, more focused. In Deuteronomy it says, and it shall be a, that if a wicked man is worthy to be beaten, the judge shall cause him to lie down and be beaten before his face. 
according to his fault by a certain number. Forty stripes he may be given, and not to exceed, lest if he should exceed it and beat him above these many stripes, then that brother would seem violent. In other words, you, if you beat a man more than, 40, more than 40 stripes, you humiliate him so much he'll never gain face with the people around him, ever. By the way, the Jews uh, would, would flog him with a rod. That's how they flogged. The Romans, however, were a little different. The Romans, 40 would be a warm-up for the Romans. The purpose of Roman flogging they used a, a, flagget, a flagget, and uh, uh, we call it a cat of nine tails. It would, be, it would have uh, strips, and on the end of it, they would put pieces of metal, shards of glass. The intent of a Roman flogging was to separate flesh from bone. That's the intent. Because ultimately, you don't really flog people and let them go. You flog them and you crucify them. They want them to die as fast as they can die. It's interesting that Paul says, I, w- I received 40 lashes from the Jews five times. Five times. Um, okay, here's Jerusalem. The point I want to make is that Jerusalem is a small place. Honestly, I was trying to think of how to describe it to you. It's from here to Chick-fil-A. Okay, so if, if you can walk from here to Chick-fil-A, you can do the tours in Jerusalem. Chick- that's how Lucas said it, Chick-fil-A. All right, so anytime you look at a map of Jerusalem, anytime you see one of these maps, look at where the temple is. And the temple is backed up. The front of the temple would be here, which means this is what direction? Who said that? East. It's facing east. It's facing east, Okay. That's important. Always orient yourself. This is east. So this is, this is the Wailing Wall today right here. So this is Herod's temple. This is Robinson's Arch. I want, the greater point I'm going to make later on is Robinson's Arch. So I want you to remember that. This is the Antonia Fortress. This is where the, the, the men that were stationed in Jerusalem would stay. This is where all the troops, all the Romans would stay. Uh, notice outside of the east, you go outside the gate, this is the Kidron Valley. By the way, when he mentions Kidron Valley here in just a minute, it's the only time the word Kidron is used in the New Testament. I think there's a reason for that. We'll talk about it. This is the Mount of Olives, and it's not on this map, but Geshimon is right here. The Mount of Olives is literally a mountain with, guess what on it? Olive trees. That's good. That's good. It's got olive trees. And Geshimon is literally in Hebrew, it means olive press. There was an olive press there. Um, all kinds of people make all kinds of analogies to that. That That's where Jesus prayed. When the sweat drops poured his blood, he was being pressed by God and by the sin of the world. I, I don't know. I think, that, I think all of those are valid. I, I want to keep going. Notice this is where Herod lives. This is his palace. This is his uh, fortress. Herod was a, was a paranoid schizophrenic. I don't really have a diagnosis, but he was paranoid. Uh, five miles from here is the Herodium over on the other side of Bethlehem. The Herodium, Masada was one of Herod's, I'm going to get out of town deals. Uh, Herod was a puppet of Rome. Okay, I don't care about Herod. Uh, all right. Um, 
This is the praetorium. The praetorium is where the Gabbatha would be, where the stone where he would present him. Um, the, does anybody see upper room on this one? The upper room is somewhere like right here. And we don't know that it's the upper room. Helena tells us it's the upper room. You can pay to get in, so it's the upper room. It's right there. Um, Joseph of Arimathea, that's his tomb. That's not necessarily... Maybe I've got another one. Yeah, good. Okay, so this is the garden tomb. This is the one that, uh, that we all go to, that we all really like. I've shown you a picture. I'm not sure that's the right one, but it, it's really good. It's really good. Um, just notice how close these places are. Um, I don't see on here uh, Caiaphas's house, but Caiaphas's house is somewhere in this. And we have, I mean, if that's not Caiaphas's house, it missed a really good opportunity to be a house of a high priest. It has seven mikvahs in it, a mikvah being full baths for ritual washings. Um, but notice how close all this is in the story. Um, okay, here's the temple. And this is a rather ornate drawing of the temple. Uh, notice the, this is the court of the Gentiles, a sacred enclosure. I love this one. Upon the pillars surmounting this, this elegant wall were inscriptions in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek forbidding any Gentile or otherwise unclean person, that would be us, uh, from entering under the penalty of death. I've told you before that the, the, uh, uh, the tribe of Benjamin, the, uh, what do you call it, the temple guards, the Benjamites, they would stand these great big hulking Benjamites and they would say, stop, who goes there? You know, they would find out. And, and if not, they could kill you. They could kill you. It's interesting that on the Temple Mount this week, uh, uh, the IDF had to kill a, a Palestinian guy who attacked a group of uh, English tourists with a knife and they put him down before he got that. That's how close they are and it's, uh, they're good at what they do. Um, Okay, this is the court of the women. Uh, this would be the court of the priests where they go. And this is the altar, the great altar. Now then, the altar, it, this is so fascinating to me. Uh, the altar, this is a better show of this. This is what would happen where the sacrifices took place. The altar, and that shows steps. There are no steps. Read Leviticus 22. There are no steps because <laughs> it was for modesty. I guess the priests wore like kilt-like deals and so that they wouldn't, so that for modesty, they didn't put steps in. It was a ramp, which makes it even more problematic when you have blood running down it. Okay. Um, John's favorite description of Jesus is, is the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Go to Revelation. All these names have been written in the book of life and the creation of the world. The book of life belong to the Lamb that was slain. He loves that metaphor that Jesus was a lamb. Um, uh, okay, so let's, let's, go, let's go back to... Well, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, this is Deuteronomy talking about blood. For in the place which Yahweh shall select one of your tribes, there you lift up burnt offerings, and there you shall do all I command you to do. Only with the desire of every soul you shall kill and eat the flesh and the blessing of Yahweh, your Elohim, your God. 
which he gave you in all your gates, unclean and the clean shall eat like a gazelle and a deer. Only the blood you shall not eat. That's part of the Nazarite vow. You can't eat blood. Over the earth you will pour it like water. This is the last part of John. This is what I've become convinced of, that John is trying to convince us of something. He's trying to convince us that everything, I think John realized this maybe 10, 15 years after he's reading the Old Testament, he goes, are you serious? That's what that, it says it here in Psalm 28, Psalm 22, that they're going to divide his garments. That's exactly what they did. I just, I would love to have been near John when he realized these things. When he just went, oh my goodness. So the last parts here, John's trying to convince us of some things that happened in, at the end. And you'll notice I have a puzzle on the blood and water issued forth from Jesus. It's always bothered me. Um, I have a better answer, I think, today than I've had in a long time. Um, okay, let's, let's, go back to the, let's go back to the Scripture. We're at verse 23. And the soldiers crucified Jesus. They took his clothes, dividing them into four shares. That lets us know how many guards there were on that detail. There were four of them. For each of them, with an undergarment remaining, his garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. This is the same garment that the priests would wear. It was an expensive garment. I heard Len Anderson uh, preach on this one time, and he said, so we can assume that Jesus did not have a place to live or didn't know where his next meal was coming from, but he was wearing a polo shirt. <clears throat> Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. Um, it's almost like, the high, remember the high priest during Yom Kippur, the high priest, they bring out two goats. They don't just pick a goat. They bring out two goats. They're fair. They're equal opportunity guys. And they cast lots to see which goat is going to be the scapegoat and which goat gets to go free. This happened so the scripture might be fulfilled which said they divided my garments and cast them among themselves casting lots for my clothing. So this, look at this emphatic verse. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, that's Salome in my opinion, that's John's mother, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom loved stand by, he said, here's your, here, said to his mother, here's your son. And to the disciple, here's your mother. From that time on, I wish he'd just say, I took her into my home. Later knowing that all was now completed and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they, so, so they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and filled it, lifted it to Jesus' lips, which is a fulfillment of, oh, wine vinegar. They gave him wine vinegar to drink. You know, <laughs> Psalm 69, let me say something about these psalms. How much time do I have? I'm, I worry. 15 minutes, maybe? Okay. Um, so, David, remember when King David was kind of at the end of his life and Absalom said I'm going to take I'm going to take over I'm going to I'm going to route this guy out and uh, Ahithophel or somebody like that I'm, I'm not really gonna, 
but they were after him. And David wrote Psalm 4 and Psalm 41 as, as having crossed the Kidron Valley. That's in the Old Testament. He wrote, and remember, Psalm 41 was the one that was quoted back at the, the Last Supper when Jesus said, uh, or when it was said that the, uh, uh, my best friend, the friend that ate with me, my most intimate friend has betrayed me. That comes from Psalm 41. Psalm 69 is another one. All of these have me are messianic and have messianic overtones. You can read all. Psalm 69 is the most quoted psalm uh, in the New Testament. <clears throat> A jar of wine vinegar. Okay, lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, he said to Jesus, it is finished. Um, if any of you have been to my house, over my fireplace, it says Tetelestai. It's misspelled. Um, <laughs> but um, I couldn't. I didn't have the heart to tell the guy I bought it from that it was misspelled. Um, um, but Scott McKnight, when he walked into my house, he said, you know, I like that, but it's misspelled. <laughs> okay, great. But Tetelestai, a lot of people uh, would translate, uh, most people would translate, it is finished. Uh, telos has more of a, uh, I finished something. It's done. It's completed. I did it. That's what I think it means. I did everything. Um, with that, he bowed his head and he died. Is that what he says? John points out at all times Jesus was in charge of every situation. He was the one in charge. He dismissed his spirit. Now it was a day of preparation. Second time he said that. And the next day was to be a special Sabbath. What would make this special? Okay, what, why would that be a special Sabbath? Because this is the day. Remember I told you, Sabbaths are on what day? Saturday. Passover is on what day? When? Full moon. Full moon. That's what makes this a special Sabbath. It's both a Saturday and it's a full moon. It's a special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the cross during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to break the legs of those bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had crucified, been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. When they came to Jesus, they found that he was already dead, and they did not break his legs, which is once again a fulfillment of an Old Testament passage that you are not to break any bones of the Passover lamb. At no time during the preparation is a bone broken. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. And I've heard all the medical responses. I've heard all that. I'll give you another one here in a minute. The man who saw this has given his testimony, and his testimony is true. Now, I used to think that was John. I now think that that is a Roman soldier who was later converted. I think this is the premise for the uh, movie Risen. Anybody seen that movie? risen? Come on. What are y'all doing Friday nights? 
That is a great Jesus movie. That is a great Jesus movie. Risen. He knows that he tells the truth and he testifies so that you will have faith. These things happen so the scripture wouldn't be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And another scripture says they will look upon the one whom they have pierced. That's Zechariah. Later, Joseph of Arimathea, these, these are the noble Pharisees. Because it was, let me tell you what they're doing here. Not only are they going to be castigated and thrown out from their circles of being priests, but they're also doing what to themselves when they come to take this body? They're saying, I won't get to participate in the special Sabbath. I'll have to go sit in a room because I'm going to work with a defiled body. You think that's not repentance? These guys are repenting. So Joseph Arimathea and Pilate asked for the body of Jesus. One of the Gospels says that they ask, um, it's not harshly, but they demanded more or less. They demanded the body. With Pilate's permission, he came and he took the body. He accompanied Nicodemus, who earlier had visited the night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, 75 pounds worth. That's extravagant. He could have saved his money. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it in spices and strips of linen according to the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. It was fit for a king. Because it's, even if it's a family plot, you use it over and over and over, and then after six months or a year, you take it out and put the bones in an ossuary. But this one had never been used, which made it, you could put a king in there. Um, third time in this chapter, because it was a Jewish day of preparation since the tomb was nearby where they laid Jesus. Okay. So, yes, hang on. <laughs> All right. Once again, where's east? Where's west? This is west. That's east. Holy of Holies is right here. I just want you to see it how how this is how hilly this is. This is the top of a mountain. When Herod expanded it to 13 acres, this is actually Shlomo's temple, I believe. But when Herod expanded it 13 acres, he built these huge walls over here. This is the Herodium. This is Solomon's court. Uh, this is the highest point of the temple because it goes down into the Kedron Valley. And it's like a, if, if it were in full, it would be over 100 feet tall. I spent all my time the la uh, a couple of times ago looking down here under where, oh goodness, under where Robinson's Arch was because you can see where that arch was attached to the wall. You can still see it. Um, this was just so people wouldn't have to climb as many steps getting up. This was just a way for that community to enter into the temple. That's what, the arch is no longer there, and some explorer, Robinson, found it, and it's supposedly a big deal. But right underneath it is a, is a rock. It's about as big as that board right there. And it says, trumpeters stand here. And it was right there. I love that. It's hard to... I use that in the instrumental music argument. Um, <coughs> <laughs> this is Robinson's Arch. 
um, drawn by James Warren in 1867-70. You can see that's where the arch would have been. Here's some fallen arch stones. This is how much of the wall that, see, this is where the dirt level is today. This is how much of the wall is still underground that we have not excavated. But I want you to notice this one right here. A drain sewer, a blood channel opening into Herod's drainage ditch. Now, what's that all about? Let me tell you what it's about. This is from a letter of Ar Ar Aristus, um, a pseudograph. I, I don't understand the pseudographic part of this, Josh, but this is a letter that was actually written in the early uh, 100s or two, 278 BC. And it's talking about this. Just read this letter real quick. I'm not going to read it because that will be confusing. So just read that. <clears throat> this is a letter. I'm sorry. <laughs> the, Yaki, you read it. Go fast. The temple faces the east and its back is toward the west. The whole of the floor is paved with stones and slopes down to the appointed places. The water may be conveyed to wash away the blood from the sacrifices. For many thousand beasts are sacrificed there on feast days. And there is an inexhaustible supply of water because an abundant natural spring gushes up from within the temple area. There are, moreover, wonderful and indescribable cisterns underground, as they pointed out to me, at a distance of five furlongs along, all around the side of the temple. And each of them has countless pipes so that the different streams converge together. And all these were fastened with lead at the bottom and at the sidewall. And over them a great quantity of plaster had been spread, and every part of the work had been more, most carefully carried out. There are many openings for water at the base of the altar, which are invisible to all except those who are engaged in administration so that all the blood of the sacrifices, which is collected in great quantities, is washed away in the twinkling of the eye. Such is my opinion with regard to the character of the reservoirs, and I will now show you how it was all confirmed. They led me more than four furlongs outside the city and bade me peer down toward a certain spot and listen to the noise that was made by the meanings of the waters, so that the great size of the reservoirs became manifest to me, as had already been pointed out. I'm going to try to just talk you, talk you through this. So, back here, we have... This is where the sacrifice took place. When Solomon dedicated the temple, he killed 22,000 bulls and 120,000 sheep. If you give it 10 liters of blood per bull and 120,000 sheep, that's a lot of bull. It's a lot of stuff. Notice where this is. Notice where this is. Remember the ramp. They're killing, they're bringing these bulls up and they're killing them right there. The priests take a third, the other people take the rest of it and take it home. I was looking this up. This is how I found this because I was, there's a quote from Josephus and I don't know where it is. I cannot find it. Uh, but there's a quote from jo Josephus that says when Passover occurred, Jerusalem had between, had around 50, 60,000 people living in it. During Passover, it would go to 250 to 300,000. Everybody would come in. Huge amount of people. Josephus counted one time. He said there were 256, no, that's not, 255,600 sheep that were killed on Passover. Now, what'd you do? You bring your family in, you set up your tent, you go to the, the money changers, and you buy a sheep. You buy a little sheep or a little goat and you take it and you take it with your family and the rule is all the kids
have to feed the sheep and goat all week long. Think about that. Then, on the day of preparation, you take your sheep and goat to the priests. There are a lot of priests. There are 40,000 priests. But these priests served two weeks a year. One, they would serve for a week at a time. One week, and then you would go home because it's exhausting. You get there at 6 o'clock in the morning. There's two, two daily, daily sacrifices. Sacrifices at 6 o'clock in the morning and around 3 o'clock in the afternoon is the evening sacrifice. Okay? And that's when it all shuts down. Then they would, what Nancy just read from our, our sources, they would wash the blood. But they wanted the blood to be seen all day long. Okay? During Passover, they do the 6 o'clock deal and then somewhere between 6 o'clock and 3 o'clock, they have to kill 255,600 sheep. Don's shaking his head. It's not possible, is it? That's 28,000 sheep an hour. It's just not possible. So this is part of, John, uh, part of the great dilemma in John where it shows Jesus eating the Passover on Thursday night as opposed to Friday night when he's supposed to eat it. I believe, as do a lot of other people, that the people that were outside in the hinterlands, when they came in, it was just physically impossible. So they expanded it, and you could eat it on Thursday night. I think that's what happened. Um, just from a practical standpoint, it also puts all the Gospels together for me nicely, and I'm good. I can sleep at night. All right. <clears throat> um, let me just read you a couple things from Mishnah. Here, here are the pits. That's a pit. the, when they built the temple, it was such a majestic thing. So when Solomon built his temple, it was 150,000 people to build it. It took seven and a half years. When Herod built his temple, he had used up to 40,000 people on site. That's not to count the people that are getting the cedars from Lebanon and the gold from... 40,000 people on site, and it took them 20, 30 years. They didn't finish it during Jesus' lifetime. But they thought of everything. Under that altar, they had these holes where the, guy could, the, the priest could kill the animal. He could collect the blood. He could take a little blood and sprinkle it on the altar, and then he could pour the rest of the blood into a hole. Guess what they did on Passover? They plugged the hole. Here's the drainage ditch. Here, the dra See how these stones fit together? They put them together with lead. At the southeastern corner of the altar, there were two openings like small nostrils out which blood drops, which was poured upon the western side of the foundation and flowed. The southern foundation, two streams mingled with the water channel, and they flowed to the Kidron Brook. On the pavement of that corner, there was a place, cubit by cubit, where there was a slab of marble, and the ring was fixed to it, and they go down to the pit and clean it. That's Mishnah. Here's Talmud. It was taught, Rabbi Yehud said to the sages, according to the words, why did they plug the holes in the courtyard? Said to the A to him, it's laudable for the sons of Aaron to walk until their ankles are full of blood. Ah, that's useless. <clears throat> so what happened is, here's the altar. There was a drainage ditch that went from here down into the Kidron, I'm sorry, wrong way, down into the Kidron Valley where the brook, brook Kidron, the, the quote I was looking for from Josephus, says that the blood would get six feet tall. 
But here's the other point. They don't let any of the blood go until 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Remember the plug in the holes? They plugged the holes. They killed 250,000 sheep, and they're just wallowing in blood. And then, at 3 o'clock, they turn the gushers on. Where'd they get the water? It's a temple mount. Seven miles away, beyond Bethlehem, Solomon had dug some pools, and he put those pipes in, and it ran downhill and picked up enough stream that hydraulically it came up and it flooded the area so that it would be cleaned in a matter of minutes. And that water flows into the Kidron Valley. I used to think that when Jesus hung on the cross, you've heard sermons like this, where Jesus hung on the cross, <clears throat> you would hear the bleating of the sheep as they were being slaughtered. I no longer believe that. I believe that when they pierced the side and blood and water came forth, it was the same time the blood and the water were being washed from the temple. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. If you dig deeper, I might change it next time. I don't know. <laughs> Any questions about this? The whole thing, what the whole thing is intended to do, it's intended to put a story in your heart that nobody can take away from you. And if somebody ever says excrucio to you, that just gives you an opening to explain this, to explain it. We don't have enough conversations with people who aren't believers. I believe this to my bones. They did not build these things for, for no purpose. These things have been planned from the beginning. Who gave Solomon the plans for the temple? God. God. God told him exactly what he wanted, how he wanted to build it. Questions? Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we just are consumed by your majesty, and we're consumed also by uh, your love for us. We can't help but read this story and just know that we are loved. And as Josh says all the time, um, we can't get any closer to you than you are to us. You're right here with us. You're in our veins. Father, help us to feel that. Help this story to be written on our hearts. Help us to believe it. Help us to understand it and to convey it to others so that others might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing they may have life in his name. Amen.